text for Pastor John's message this morning is taken from 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13, through chapter 3, verse 5. But we should always give thanks to God for you, brethren beloved by the Lord, because God has chosen you from the beginning for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and faith in the truth. And it was for this he called you through our gospel, that you may gain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, brethren, stand firm and hold to the traditions which you were taught, whether by word of mouth or by letter from us. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who has loved us and given us eternal comfort and good hope by grace, Comfort and strengthen your hearts in every good work and word. Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may spread rapidly and be glorified, just as it did also with you, and that we may be delivered from perverse and evil men, for not all have faith. But the Lord is faithful, and he will strengthen and protect you from the evil one. And we have confidence in the Lord concerning you that you are doing and will continue to do what we command. And may the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God and into the steadfastness of Christ. Sermons on prayer and meditation are like books on marriage. You might read them and find yourself pointed toward some rich and deep and precious experiences in marriage, but the secrets and the joys and the blessings of marriage are found in the act of marriage, not in books about them. And so it is with communion with God. I can talk about speaking to God in prayer and hearing from God in the Word. I can tell you that it is a a precious and deep and wonderful thing to know God through His Word and experience His voice through His written Word and express your heart back to Him and carry on a sweet and deep and growing communion with Him, but you will discover it in the doing of it, not just in the hearing about it. So my prayer as I take this message under my effort here is to, my prayer is that you would do it. That you wouldn't say, oh, I don't know how to pray or, I don't know how to read my Bible, but that you would say, I'm going to discover in the relationship, in the doing of it, how to do it. I'm going to do this. It's amazing how many experts in all kinds of fields, if you ask them, do you take a course on this? They say, nah, nah, just figured it out. That's what most computer whizzes are. They, hey. They just figured it out. And there are many things like that in life, and and relational things are like that. 
with or without this sermon, you can know God. And so my prayer is that God would just use it to get you to doing. And then as you're doing, you get to know him. And as you get to know him, you get to know how to know him better. So let's pray. Father, here we are over the word now. It's fitting that we pray over the word. Because if you don't come and take the word and by your spirit work it into our lives, it will have no lasting spiritual effect upon us. And so I pause to say, help me and help us. Father, I long for Bethlehem to be a people of the book. Not as an end in itself, but as a great power in our lives so that we shine like lights in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation and manifest the glory of Jesus to everyone we meet. I pray that you'd make us a people of meditation and a people of prayer, that we would pray in the morning and pray at noon and pray at night and pray without ceasing in a spirit of prayer all day long, that we would walk in communion with you, that we would read the Bible and memorize parts of the Bible and think about the Bible and mull over the Bible and chew on the Bible and let the Bible soak in our mouths and in our brains and in our heart until Bible juices flow down into every fiber of our being and we live Bible before the world. So, Lord, please come. For those who don't ever read their Bible, set them to reading it. For those who jump in and out one day now, one day later, and don't have any consistency, give them consistency. For those who feel like they can only pray at mealtimes and don't know how to set aside a time for prayer and that's never been part of their experience, set them to praying. Lord, do more than I could begin to do on my own now, I pray, as I unfold this text. In Jesus' name, amen. Let me give you the main point and then uh, explain it for a few minutes and then take you to the text and illustrate it from the text. In Second Thessalonians, the main point of my message this morning is this prayer and meditation on the word of God are as inseparable as the spirit is inseparable from the word in changing your life. Say it again. Prayer and meditation on the word are as inseparable in the living of the Christian life as spirit and word are inseparable. As God's spirit and God's word are inseparable, so prayer and meditation are inseparable. So my goal this morning is to motivate and inspire you to draw prayer and word together in your life every day. Now, let me explain four things about that point and try to say four implicit statements that I'm assuming as I make that point. And then we'll go to the text and illustrate them and put some authority under them. The first is this. The work of God's spirit in your life is always done through the word. And the work of the word in your life is 
is always done by the Spirit. Wherever the Spirit is at work savingly and sanctifyingly, producing obedience or the fruit or Christ-likeness, whatever you want to call it, wherever the Spirit is at work doing that, He's doing it through and by the Word. And wherever the Word of God is having an effect in your life, producing joy or hope or peace or faith or radical allegiance to Him and some sacrificial love and obedience, the Spirit is the one who is at work in and through and under the Word, enabling that to come about. So that's my first Assumption in this point. Word and spirit are always working in and through each other in the Christian life. Second assumption or implicit in that first main point. Prayer corresponds to the spirit and meditation corresponds to the word. So that they are inseparable. So the first point had to do with the Spirit and the Word. The second point says prayer corresponds to the reliance upon the Spirit and meditation corresponds to reliance upon the Word. If you rely upon and trust and treasure the Word, you'll meditate on it. If you rely upon and trust and treasure the Spirit, you'll cry out to Him or praise Him or thank Him or confess your failures to Him. That's what prayer is. Meditation is hearing and pondering and prizing the Word of God. Memorizing. We have a memory program at this church for a very simple reason. We believe that living the Christian life is to become a strong, fruit-bearing tree, whether Famine is happening or drought is happening or winds are blowing or storms are raging to be a tree that stands, leaves don't wither, fruit is born, happens, according to Psalm 1, by meditating on the law day and night. And you can't do that if you don't memorize the Bible. If memory has no place in your spiritual walk, You will read a little bit of the Bible, you will walk away from it, and you will not remember what you read. So that all day long, you'll just be thinking secular ways. You'll absorb it from your work, you'll absorb it from advertisements, you'll absorb it from television, radio, people around you. And if you don't have strong word in your heart and your mind, exerting counter-influences about God and about money and about sex and about food and about leisure and about integrity in business. If you don't have strong word putting itself forward that's stored up in your memory, you'll be a pushover for the devil and your own flesh. So if you're going to be strong in the Lord, and that's what Christianity is about, exerting an influence for Christ in our world, then you got to memorize Scripture. So meditation means reading it, memorizing it, chewing on it, meditating on it, pondering it, thinking about it until you see it the way God wants it to be seen, namely as infinitely precious and satisfying. And then it changes everything. That's the second thing. Prayer corresponds to the Spirit 
And meditation corresponds to the word. Now, here's the third thing. Prayer and meditation are inseparable, just like the word and the spirit are inseparable. Prayer without meditation disintegrates into new age spirituality. You know, almost everybody in America prays. Virtually everybody. They'll say, thank God, or, or they'll, or they'll say, in a, in a real pinch, God help me, or everybody prays. But not everybody saturates their praying with meditation on the Word of God, so that the praying is biblical and spiritual. Prayer, that is, the effort to talk to a deity, will simply be an echo of your own fallen emotions and thoughts and ideas if you don't permeate your praying with meditation on the Word. So you can't separate the two for prayer's sake. Same thing is true for the sake of your meditation. You must permeate it with prayer. Because what happens if you don't? What happens if you take your Bible and says, I can do this now. I can read this, I can meditate on this, I can memorize this, and I can do this. And you don't ever pray, God help me see it, God help me want it, God help me be changed by it, God help me understand it, God transform me according to it. If you don't ever pray that way, you know what will happen? One of two things. Either you will experience some measure of success in your Bible meditation and become a legalistic proud prig... Or you will experience massive failure and you will become a hopeless, despairing person. Those are not good alternatives. Legalistic pride and hopeless despair are not good alternatives. There is a way in the middle, and I'm after that this morning. Getting meditation and prayer together in one life is what I'm after. So that's my third assumption, that God intends... For your prayers to be saturated with word and the word to be saturated with prayer. So that when you read an inspiring portion of scripture that describes Jesus and his way of working. And you find joy rising in your heart or assurance or faith or hope or courage. You will know that it came from the Word enabled by the Spirit. Now, here's my fourth observation, all attempting to unpack my main point that these two are inseparable. There's a reason why God has ordained for the Spirit to work under and through the Word Incognito, as a quiet, humble, self-effacing person of the Trinity. Why is it? Here's what I mean. When you go to the Bible looking for joy, it's right to pray, restore to me the joy of my salvation. David prayed that. Everybody wants more joy? Ask God to do it. And when you ask God to do it, you're assuming he's going to do something. And what he'll do is lead you to the word very quietly through the longings and desires of your heart. And as you begin to read subtly, quietly, beneath 
your heart and the word. He opens the eyes of your heart so that what you see is a reason to be happy in the word. And if somebody were to say to you, how come you're happy today? You would say, I saw this magnificent description of Jesus as my Savior this morning and my Lord. And he just stood forth from the Bible with such clarity that I couldn't help but like him and feel encouraged by him. Even though the spirit was the one at work in your heart and through the word opening you to see that. Because you'd seen that page a thousand times and it never had that effect. But it's the word that gets the immediate credit. Now, why is that important to observe? For this reason, according to John 16, 14, the Holy Spirit has been sent into the world to glorify Jesus. To make much of Jesus, not himself. The Holy Spirit is not on a crusade to get attention for himself. He is on a crusade to get attention for the second person of the Trinity, Jesus Christ. Which is why he will not work without the word. Give me an illustration. Let's pretend that you are all shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over your flock by night. And suddenly the angel of the Lord appears to you and says, behold, I have News for you, good news of great joy, which will be to all people. For unto you this day in the city of David, a Savior has been born. The Christ, Jesus, the Lord. Now, what's the point of that word? We're talking word here. A word was just spoken into the brain of a shepherd. What's the point? The point is joy. I bring you good news of great, tell me. Great joy, huge joy. Why? And then he tells why. Because, get this shepherds, the savior that you've been waiting for, for 2000 years was born. He's here. He's Jesus. He's the Messiah. He's the Lord of the universe. Rejoice. They did, by the way. Verse 20 of Luke 2 says, They went everywhere telling people about what they'd seen and heard. These men were ecstatic because they had been told into their ears and into their brains and through their understandings, a Savior is born. I now have a knowledge about a reality and a truth that makes me happy. Rewind the tape. Let's do it again. You are shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over your flock by night. And behold, the Holy Spirit arrives in your heart and produces massive joy. And you look at your fellow shepherds and say, I'm feeling happy. And the other one says, me too. Whoa, this is a good feeling. Yay, I'm happy. So who gets any glory? They don't know where that came from. 
It's not based on any words, not based on any revelation. It's just feeling. Feels good. So like a drug. God did not intend joy to be for nothing. He intended joy to magnify the worth of Jesus. That's what joy is for. Therefore, joy has to be in Jesus. And for it to be in Jesus, you have to know something about Jesus. Namely, that he's worthy. He's a savior. He's a Christ, a Messiah. He's the Lord of the universe. He makes promises to you. That's why we have this book. And that's why joy is intended to flow through this book. These things were written beforehand in order that by the steadfastness and encouragement of the scriptures, you may have hope. Hope rises from word. But you know what? It will not rise from word without the Holy Spirit. Quietly, incognito as it were, moving in your heart, opening the eyes of your heart to see the worth of what is really here. You've all tasted this. You've read the Bible and nothing has happened. Just a blank page. And other times, for no apparent reason, you're reading some familiar, precious, John 3.16 kind of verse, and it wallops you. He came for me. He loved me. He died for me. He suffered for me. What a Savior. What a Christ. And you're overwhelmed with the sheer truth of it. And you know why that happened? God moved. God moved. The Spirit came. So those are my four explanations of my main point. Namely, that meditation on this book and its truth and reality and beauty and prayer for the help of the Spirit always go together. And you dare not separate the two any more than spirit and word are separated in the Bible. Now let's see it in the text. Let's get four illustrations quickly of this truth from this text. The first one is found in 2 Thessalonians 2.13. Paul says, we should always give thanks to God for you, brethren. Now notice, that's prayer. Prayer is in the form of thanks. He says we should do this, so it's a duty. Should, duty, should. However, it's the kind of duty so that if you experience it as burden, you haven't experienced it yet. If you experience gratitude as a burden, you don't know gratitude. Because true gratitude is not an exertion of the will. It's an overflow of a sense of being treated better than you deserve. A kid who gets black socks for Christmas from his grandmother when he wanted a fire truck might be told by his mother, say thank you to your grandmother. And he might say, thank you, grandmother, for my socks. He does not experience gratitude at that moment. 
The words thank you are a burden and a duty and it feels like hypocrisy for one simple reason. The emotion is not there. However, had he opened the fire truck, maybe that's coming next. Grandmother's not dumb. <laughs> opens the opens the box. Fire truck. Oh yes! Woohoo! Thank you, Grandma. That's not a burden. That's not a burden. You don't know gratitude yet if this should here lands on you like law. You need to know him. You need to come to the end of this year and look back over this year with all this horror and feel something really freeing about how good he's been to you. Way better than you deserve and me. So it's a duty here. But look where it comes from. Look where gratitude comes from in verse 14. When he says, we should always give thanks to God for you. So here, here is a prayer happening called thanks. But where does it come from? It comes from four reasons. Which come from knowledge. Which come from the word about how God saved the Thessalonians. Number one, you are beloved by the Lord. Number two, verse 13 at the end, God has chosen you from the beginning for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and faith. Number three, the beginning of verse 14, he called you through our gospel. Number four, the aim of this call was that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. You see where his thanks is coming from? God loved them. God chose them. God called them. God will glorify them. That's what he knows in his head. And it produces the emotion of, oh, God, how good you've been to the Thessalonians. It just bubbles up. Look what you have done for the Thessalonian church. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And that's the way I feel about Bethlehem over and over again for reason after reason. But there got to be reasons. Why? So that that will get the glory. God will get the glory. Not the Thessalonians. God has chosen you. God has called you. God is going to glorify you. God loved you. Praise God. Thank God for you. And if you need to see where I got the essential structure of this sermon, look at verse 13 and notice the word spirit and the word truth. God saves us, it says, through sanctification by the Spirit and faith in the truth. Now, there you have Spirit and truth, Spirit and truth, Spirit and Word brought together. How do you get changed? How do you get changed? Everybody in this room needs to change. Ought to want to change. More like Jesus, more like Jesus, more affections like Him, more behavior like Him, more attitudes like Him, more change. Oh, make 2002 change city. How's that going to happen? Answer, spirit and truth. Spirit and truth. And prayer corresponds to our reliance upon the spirit. And meditation corresponds to our faith in the truth. And so we will bring the two together. Here's my second illustration, verses 15 to 17. In verse 15, he says, So then, brethren, stand firm 
And hold fast to the traditions which you were taught, whether by word of mouth or by letter from us. So now notice something. He's telling them to do something here. Stand firm. Be strong. Don't get blown over by temptation, doubt, unbelief. Be strong. Stand. And then he says, hold fast to the traditions. I spoke them to you with my mouth. I wrote them to you in letters. We've got them in a book today. Hold on to them. How do you think he'd say that today? He was standing here and he wanted to say to this congregation, hold fast to the traditions. What would he say? I don't, would you think he'd say, Make sure everybody in this room has a Bible on your shelf at home. A black Bible. All 66 books. None torn out. Just all of them right there. Good. Now we're all holding fast to the traditions. We've got them right there on the shelf. They're not going anywhere. That's not what he would say. Holding fast to the traditions, whether spoken by the apostle or written by the apostle. In other words, the apostolic word, holding fast to that, is taking that little book off the shelf. Maybe buying one this little, so you carry it in your pocket. And and opening it and reading it. Memorizing pieces of it. Chewing on them. Pondering them. Mulling over them, not letting them go. When you leave the house in the morning, you take it with you. You keep it, you hold it all day. Downtime when you're not crunching numbers or having to talk turkey with the business folks. Those downtimes come and you can immediately have it there to mine, to savor and be encouraged by and helped by and guided by. That's holding fast to the Tradition. But the amazing thing in this text is that he follows his command to stand firm and to stand firm by holding the traditions with a prayer. It's a kind of prayer. It's a blessing. Blessing is one of those bi-directional things, a benediction where you're actually talking to people and talking to God at the same time. May God strengthen you. So I'm looking at you. I'm telling God what to do. May God strengthen you. That's what he's doing here. Let's read that. Verse 16. Now, may the Lord Jesus Christ himself, so he wants Jesus to do something, and God our Father, he wants the Father to do something. What's he want them to do? Now, may the Lord and God the Father who has loved us, given us eternal comfort and good hope through grace, here's what he wants them to do. Comfort and strengthen your hearts in every good work and word. Well, now, which is it? Is it verse 15? Be strong, stand firm by holding fast the word. Or is it, Father, Lord Jesus, make them strong. In every work and every word, work it in their lives, Father. Which is it? And of course, you know the answer. It's both. That's why they're both here together. And you may not separate them. You go to the Bible, not because you're self-sufficient and you can manage this Bible. Just give me a Bible. Give me a verse. I'll do this. You can't do it. 
You got to both hold fast to the tradition and then you got to do what Paul did and say, Oh Lord Jesus, Oh Father, establish me now. Help me and make me strong and established in every good work commended by this Bible. And every good word I read in the Bible and want to take on my lips, establish me and strengthen me in it. So there's my second illustration. The word and prayer kept together. Number three, verses one and two of chapter three. Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may spread rapidly and be glorified just as it did also with you and that we will be rescued from perverse and evil men for not all have faith. Notice the two coming together again. Thessalonians, pray for us that the word, prayer word, prayer word, would run, spread, triumph, just as it did with you. So here's the way Paul's thinking, it seems. These Thessalonians have been conquered by the word of God. God has won them for himself. They're just a few weeks old. These are baby Christians. When he writes this. And here they are. And the word has taken root in their lives. And they're starting to suffer for Jesus and not criticize God for letting them suffer. But count it attributed an honor that they can suffer with Jesus and for Jesus. And Paul says, all right. The word has had a great effect in you. Now, I'm about to leave I, he already has left as he writes this. I'm, I'm going to do everything I can to take what happened to you and make it happen among unreached peoples of the world, other pockets, other villages. You want to be a part of this, Thessalonians? Yes, you do. Here's how. Pray for us. And notice how he says it. He doesn't say vaguely, pray that the word would run and triumph or pray that the word would... Spread and be glorified, he says, pray for us, word bearers. Why? Why? It seems as though there's a correlation between what's going on in the preacher and the effectiveness of the preached word. That's scary. That's heavy. Right? So he says, Paul says, I want the word to bear fruit. I want to see people come to Christ. I want to see them be built up. I want to see them to be mighty in righteousness and love. So they shake the foundations of this empire. And then he says to baby Christians. (laughs) Here's this massive Massive Christian, the Apostle Paul, saying to these baby three-week-old Christians, pray for me. Help me. Help me. Isn't that amazing? I just think that's amazing that the veteran, he knows how to do this. He knows how to do evangelism. He knows how to pray. And he says... To his church, his little flock. Please, pray for me. These people that are sitting behind that wall there, 
right now, praying for me, are jewels. Jewels in my life. And all of you who undertake to support me and the staff and the elders with daily intercession are one of the reasons we survive and prosper as a church. Huge reason. Spurgeon was asked one time, what's the secret of your ministerial success in London 100 years ago? He very simply and quickly answered, my people pray for me. So there they are again. That's my third illustration. There's prayer together with the word. Prayer empowering the word. Now finally, number four. In verses 4 and 5 of chapter 3, he says, We have confidence in the Lord concerning you, that you are doing and will continue to do what we command. Now notice, when he says, what we command, he's talking about the word again, right? Here's the apostle, inspired by God, giving commands to the church as the foundation of this church. He he says, here's the way to live. I am inspired by God. I speak and I write the inspired word of God. When I speak it, you keep it. And he says, I'm confident you're going to keep keeping it. Well, if you're so confident, Paul, that they're going to fulfill the word, why do you do verse 5? Why do you pray for them the way you do? Look what verse 5 does. It's another benediction or blessing. May the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God and into the steadfastness of Christ. You want to know how to pray for somebody you love who's not a believer? That's a good one. Oh God, just direct his heart. Take it! This text says he's got a right to do that. Direct his heart into the love of God. And into the steadfastness of Christ. Don't let it be directed anywhere else. Just take all the, the fallen, proud, foolish directions that her heart, his heart is moving. Change it. You know, sometimes people say, how do Calvinists pray? How can Calvinists pray? I read a text like this and say, how can anybody but a Calvinist pray? Well, we'll keep asking those questions to each other until we get it straight in the kingdom. But you need to see where I'm coming from here. God directs the human heart. Or there's no point in asking him to save anybody. Let's read it again. May the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God and the steadfastness 
of Christ. But my point here is that prayer follows upon verse 4, which said, I've commanded you what to do, and I'm confident you're going to do it. So if you're so confident they're going to do it, why are you asking God to direct their hearts into his love? And the simple answer is, my prayer is that God would do it so that I can be confident that he'd do it. I'm asking God to do it. And I'm confident God's going to do it. That's why I can say to them, you're going to do it. I'm praying he who began a good work in you is going to keep on doing it. Because I'm asking him to keep on doing it. Got anybody you love? You want them to keep on? You want them to keep on or come back? Pray like this. And keep the word in their lives. Keep the word in their lives. You've got two things to do now. I'm done. I'll wrap this up in just a minute. You got two things to do. You got a word, and the word changes and produces change, but not without the spirit. And the spirit corresponds to prayer, and this corresponds to meditation. And when you're talking about other people, you need to do two things. You need to pray for them, and you need to keep telling them good things about Jesus. So I'm on my email every Saying good things about Jesus to the one I care about a lot. So that every library where he stops to get his email, there's a word from daddy about Jesus. It's not a sermon. It's just off my front burner. I saw this about Jesus this morning. Isn't this great? God bless you. Have a good gig. I love you. You gotta do that. You gotta do that. Pray in the word. Pray in the word. Pray. So, in conclusion, would you, this week, come to a seven o'clock prayer meeting, or come to a noon prayer meeting, or come to an all night prayer meeting, Would you go to the table in just a minute and get a through the Bible plan for the year? Would you take the little green sheet and learn the fighter verses? Would you set yourself a resolution to to be a new person of prayer and the word this year? And oh, how our church would feel the force of the spirit moving because he loves to move through the word. Won't you stand with me? Father, please, I ask now, send your Holy Spirit onto the prayers and onto the meditation of this people so that we would pray in the Spirit and read in the Spirit and memorize in the Spirit and meditate in the Spirit. And would you transform our lives by this power of Word and Spirit into Christ-like persons who shine like lights in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. We want you to get the glory for our lives, and we want our church to be strong and full of oaks of righteousness as we plant ourselves by the river of your word and meditate on it day and night. And all the people said, Amen. You're dismissed.